This can be our beginning banter if it needs to be. I am freezing. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, 60 (laughs) degrees in California. What's happening? Gotta look. That's Um, hard, Heather. 60 degrees. (laughs) 65. Oh. So listeners, I'm wearing a sweatsuit, head to toe. (laughs) And a jacket. Coat. I'm gonna stand up. That is full length all the way down. (laughs) This is dramatic. I'm also sipping tea. And you're um, inside. I'm inside my office, which is not attached. There's a heater. It's not cold in here. I have been sitting all morning in meetings and I think I'm getting sick. I have the chills and I'm Oh, oh totally. Achy. Yes. No, Heather. So welcome. Okay, I take me. it back. No, it's now, now it's fun. not funny. <laughs> it's not funny at all anymore. <laughs> I now do we're think sad. It... <laughs> <laughs> but we have like three days with this weather. It's rainy. It's I'm done with the wind. Oh. <laughs> it's okay, you guys. I'm done with the winter. <laughs> I'm trying to. It's always going to be that way. Anyway, okay. Should we get to it? Let's get yeah, to we it. Should get, we should get to it. Get to it, Micah. So, you have to talk more into your microphone. Sorry. I, I there it is. That now. Okay. okay. Enough of this. Enough of this. Speaking into microphones and coats and all of that. Let's shout some worth and shift some narratives for people with Down syndrome. Welcome to the Lucky Few Podcast, everybody. Today, the three of us are going to be hitting on a current event hot topic. Any guesses, everybody? That's right. (laughs) We're going to talk about what we are calling the love is blind debacle. If you're not sure what that means, we'll fill you in and share our thoughts. So, you guys, welcome to the Lucky Few Podcast. Listener friends, the National Down Syndrome Society is excited to share its newest health and wellness program. Three, two, one, go. The three, two, one, go program promotes healthy lifestyle choices and physical activities, balanced nutrition and emotional wellness among individuals with Down syndrome and their families. The foundation of the three, two, one, go program is a set of three daily goals and 21 challenges that encourage a daily focus on overall well-being. Resources for the program provide education, support goal setting, and foster independent skills. Taking care of our bodies and mind is so important for us to be healthy in the present and to ensure our loved ones with Down syndrome age well. Successful aging starts young. This holiday season, we encourage you to give the gift of health and invest in your loved one's future. Just for lucky few podcast listeners, that's you, so listen up here. Just for you listeners, NDSS is offering $10 off the fitness kit. This offer is good from November 1st through December 9th with the code LUCKYFEW. All orders placed before December 9th will arrive in time for the holidays. So please visit NDSS.org slash 321GO for more information and to buy a fitness kit today. Hi ladies, my hope is that when we say any guesses, people start shouting things out in the car <laughs> or on their walk. 
<laughs> they don't take it rhetorically. Totally. <laughs> and he guesses, I know, I know what it is. That would have been my favorite. If that was you, send us a message and I'll send you. I don't, I take it back. Just tell us that you did that. Record yourself <laughs> responding to our questions. Amazing. Yes. Um, okay. okay. The debacle. The debacle. So here's the scene, listeners. The love is love is blind. We'll talk about what this is if you're new to it and why it's a hot topic right now. But it, it's because Down syndrome was brought up and about terminating a pregnancy because a child has Down syndrome. And so Micah said, what if we talk about this? Because it happened a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, but it's still very much circling because I feel like the our community ha- doesn't feel like there's been any resolution to it or any acknowledgement or apology or whatever it needs to be. We can talk about that. So we're coming at you. The day before this episode comes out tomorrow and it's a last minute decision to record it and we're doing it unedited. So both you ladies, no F-bombs. And oh boy. Don't, don't say the thing that you're like, take that out. I mean, <laughs> we have to be well, but the goal is we're just having this raw unedited episode for you. So if it seems a little bit unedited. It's because it is. Okay. Oh my goodness. Well, do we dive right in? Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about what Love is Blind is. Do any of you, either of you watch it? I've never I'm not regularly, it. no. Okay. But I've heard lots of people talk about it. It's pretty pop culture-y. It's Ooh. out there in the world. Yeah. It came out in 2020, right in the middle of COVID. But it, they film, what's funny about TV, you know, is they film it so far in advance. So COVID didn't exist when they were filming but it dropped in 2020. I think they started filming in 2018. Yeah, that first season. This season, we're in season three, and that was filmed in 2021, in the summer of 2021. Yeah. Um, So I want to read. This is from Wikipedia. Yes, (laughs) our most reliable news source. It's not bad, you guys. Not not most reliable, but it's not bad. Tell us everything, Heather. Okay. Okay. Tell us. This is what we know about Love is Blind, if you don't know. It's a dating reality show. It follows 15 men and 15 women, all from the same metropolitan area, who are hoping to find love. For 10 days, the men and women date each other in purpose-built pods where they can talk to each other through a speaker, but they don't see each other. So the sense is like you fall in love without seeing each other. They are initially paired in speed dating format, but they later can choose to have longer dates and the dater may extend a marriage proposal when they're ready. Okay. Remember, we're just a few days into knowing each other and this happening. A couple meets face-to-face only after a proposal is accepted. The engaged couples then head to a couple's retreat at a resort. And during this time, they spend time getting to know their partner, probably physically as well. And then they, (laughs) um, following the couple's retreat, the engaged couples move to the same apartment complex in the city they live. And while at their apartment complex, they meet parents and family and friends and learn more about their partner's lives and explore issues that come up in marriage, like finances and recreation and personal habits and ultimate primary residency. And then they can also start planning their wedding because remember they're engaged at this point and they'll go off and do wedding dress shopping and all those kinds of things. Um, They can bring friends and families along with them. And then they make the decision to say, I do at the altar. So at the altar, each participant decides whether or not to say I do. And this is the show. Whoa. I'm so nervous for them <laughs> <laughs> at the altar. 
horrible. <laughs> and it is a hit. I've heard about this show from so many people. They're like obsessed with it. So maybe I'll start watching. Okay, I just didn't know a lot not. about it. Yes. Especially now that you're not feeling well, you can just sit oh, and yes. watch all the episodes of Love is Blind, Heather. You guys, this is really a side note, but that is my only dream when I'm sick is just to sit and do nothing, but I don't get to do that. That never happens. It doesn't get to happen. (laughs) Ever, ever, ever. You just have to walk around feeling horrible. Yes. it's Pick up the kids' clothes. Whatever. You just fall asleep on top of the clothes that you need to fold. And that's called being sick. Okay. Okay, So Love is Blind. We're going to watch it sometime, the three of us. Yes. But until then, we should just kind of say that like in this season three- not not all of it has been released yet. So the episode or episodes in particular where this abortion conversation happened was in the first seven episodes, which were released in October, as far as I understand. And then the, the there were three more that were released November 2nd. And they're still waiting for the finale, which is going to be dropping this Wednesday. Okay. So, um, so they're still kind of right right in the the people who are following along are still following along so we don't know if nancy and is it batiste but mm-hmm. batiste are going to end up together we don't know if they're going to make it to the altar so maybe we'll care uh, by the I, end of this conversation i think we might i don't okay think, okay. okay okay so who is nancy rodriguez she is our yes the culprit in this Yes. And this is, we should also say probably this, this is a, um, this episode is all takes place in Dallas. So these are Mm -hmm. all Dallas residents. Yes. Just, you know, to get the facts out there. I have to cough. I'm sorry. Hold on everybody. (laughs) I like that fact. (laughs) If you have feelings about Dallas, then you might have more (laughs) after this. Texas. Okay. Oh boy. Okay. And have we said why yet of what Nancy did? No, take us there, Merce. <laughs> oh, what did why Nancy the court do? Is someone, yeah, why, why the controversy? <laughs> also, can I say, and you guys can chime yes. in here too. The, the only reason I'm aware of this show is because of our Down syndrome community on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because of what happened in this episode and because of the uproar around it. Right. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read here from our script. It says, here's what Nancy Rodriguez says in the episode. And sorry, I'm going to interrupt real quick. So the context is she and this guy, Batrice, you guys. I think it's Batiste. I thought it was Matisse. I thought so at first too, but then I read some more and it said. Batiste. It was with a B. Okay. Um, They are having, they've now made it to the apartment. I think the apartment stage. They're, they're in person, face-to-face, spending time together, having these hard conversations, bringing things up that come up in marriage. And she, they were talking about kids and she's a few years older, seven, eight, nine years older than him. Um, she's 31, he's 25. So whatever the math is there, six, sorry, got it wrong. And this is what she said in that conversation. Mercedes, okay. go. This is Nancy, and mm-hmm. quote. <laughs> I think it's different for me. I've seen so much in my field. It was so emotionally draining and so sad that I would cry almost every day. A lot of time, even just with Down syndrome, there's so many complications, medical and also learning complications. 
And I see the amount of trauma that it does to the family, Nancy says. For me, if I knew I could try again and hope that second time it was better, I could go that route, to be honest. Okay. So I think one more thing we should add to this that we didn't add to the setup is that Nancy is a speech language pathologist. So in this conversation she's having with her fiance, they are talking about like this, uh, about having children from her perspective of having worked as a speech language pathologist with kids with disabilities. Yeah. And this is how she feels. And in the conversation she had said, if I found out, like, what would you do if you found out um, you were pregnant with a baby or you're going to have a baby who had a birth defect, essentially is what she said. And he said he would keep the baby no matter what. And she said she would terminate. <clears throat> and then as you, and then here it says, and wait for a better child. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, okay. Where do we even start you guys? I know it's hard to, because she went on to say, I specialize with down syndrome. I had kids that were medically fragile. So they have all sorts of medical illness. And for me working with so many children and the struggles that they went through and then seeing their families break down, I felt, I felt like that was like the biggest sting. I mean, the whole thing is a big sting, but I, it was sad. It's sad because she's a speech therapist and I go to one for Sunflower, OT, PT. And we've talked about this before that we feel so often that it's not necessarily our children at all that are hard. It's the world. Right. And so, and we show up to these appointments, I don't know what she's seen, but a, it's hard to go to an appointment with your child mm-hmm. <laughs> weekly at that. And if you have other children, if you're a working parent, like, I just be so curious to see what she saw and then how she interpreted that. And if these sessions were for a half hour, all of a sudden my, I just wanted to debunk all these things that she assessed mm-hmm. so strongly to make this statement. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, Oh, it bothered me. And I'm like, Oh no. Or it just made me feel like that was super judgmental and harmful and makes it feel less safe as a family to, I don't know, again, show up to a space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think some of the big complaints, I guess one of my biggest complaints for the whole thing. And I think Netflix is, is responsible for this is the lack of follow-up conversation and the lack of nuance to the conversation because she's saying that's such a short part of it. Right. And it is, they all have, they're like medically fragile and medically fragile is different than down syndrome. We've had this mm-hmm. conversation before down syndrome. Doesn't mean you're unhealthy. You can have down syndrome and be unhealthy, right. And have health issues, but down syndrome itself is not a quote health issue. Right. So that, yeah, to have any kind of medically fragile child can be really hard, but she's saying it was such um, authority, authority. Yes. Like mm-hmm. that's because I'm a speech pathologist. I know. Yeah. So take my word for it. And I don't like that. And we, I mean, we don't know what she, I mean, she's referring to the amount of trauma it does to the family. Mm-hmm. She's talking about how, um, their families broke down and, um, yeah, that's, I, I think it's totally possible. She's worked with families going through really hard 
things. We've talked about this in our conversation so many times, like it can be really hard. And sometimes Down syndrome looks much more complicated for some people than it does for others. And, um, but there, yeah, there seems to be this assumption that Down syndrome comes into a family's life and it causes trauma mm-hmm. and that it's, uh, it causes family breakdown. And that feels really surprising to me knowing the speech language pathologists that have been in our lives, knowing like what, like the, the delight and the joy that it seems mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. is happening in those sessions. Um, and then I think too, like, I, I feel like this kind of brought, brought this up for me, Mercedes, when you were saying like, how do you go into those sessions? Do you like, you feel a little unsafe? Like, can I not mm. cry here? Can yes. I, like, am I, now do I need to go to these sessions and be like on my guard? Cause I have to make sure our speech therapists believe in the worth of my child. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they say something that makes me sad, or if, if our, my kid is having a hard time and I'm sad over it, like I can, can I not cry? Cause all of a sudden that means that I'm traumatized and this, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, yes. what is it? What does she mean when she says that she's seen tra- trauma? Um, right. Cause I've definitely cried in a, the speech therapist's office. Yeah. And I, maybe we all have, it's hard sometimes, but that doesn't mean that we're traumatized. Mm-hmm. And I just keep going back to this, maybe because I just came from speech and OT that <laughs> I feel like appointments are hard to show up unfrazzled yeah. <laughs> too, especially, you know, it's odd times it's for short stints. You're like giving your kid a snack. You're making sure they're at their best. I don't know. I just. I, I just feel like that's not a place to make an assessment. Such a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And talk about a whole family unit in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, really was, I think the biggest mistake here, like she's going to, I think we can all three understand why she feels how she feels where it's coming from. Like we talk about ableism on our podcast all the time. And this is, this is ableist thinking. Um, what, and thinking that I was guilty, like guilty of in my life, you know, I shared, I had a bunch of people reach out and ask my opinion on this. And I thought, I don't, it's not mine to give. Cause I just don't know outside this like 30 second clip. I have literally have no idea what's happening on this show. Right. Um, but I felt compelled to share about when I was going through the adoption process for Macy and we purposely chose a private agency so we could have a healthy infant and who Macy is on paper. We said no to, and I had a conversation so, so because we said no to that, um, we wouldn't be presented with children with disabilities. Like we wouldn't be presented with a child with down syndrome. Cause we had checked no to that box on our paperwork. And I was talking to a coworker. I was, I was a special education teacher at the time. So I'm a teacher in a living skills program at a high school. And I have, um, a handful of my students have down syndrome. All of them have intellectual disabilities. And I, as far as I knew about myself and my, as far as my self-awareness could stretch, I adored every single student. I did not look at them as, as less human. I saw them as incredible humans, like fully worthy of life and loved each of them dearly, including all my students with Down syndrome. I knew their families. I adored all of them. And, um, one of my coworkers at one point was asking me about adoption stuff. And I was explaining to her that we could, 
be at a birth like that. My dream would have been to be chosen by a birth mother and be at the birth. And she's like, what if when the baby was born, they had down syndrome or something. And I said, oh, honestly, we would probably say no and wait for the next baby. And that that's just how I thought, right? Like you can't, and I didn't know how harmful that thinking was. And I freaking loved people with down syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I'm not trying to offer her an out here, this Nancy Rodriguez lady. Cause she, I feel like she then doubled down later. She's then doubled down in the way that she's responded to our community. But I think most parents listening had that moment of complete and utter devastation and would do anything to have a child without down syndrome to have a better quote, better kid. Like that's what they, that's what so many parents we know wanted. You pray for the baby to not have Down syndrome when they're actually born. Please, please, please don't let this be the case. Um, and thank God I got Macy. And that's a whole other story. Like how you get from, no, I'd say no to a baby being born that I'm at the birth that I've been chosen for to saying yes to Macy. That's a journey that I went down that I, I say all the time, Macy is the gift of my life because I was able to expand my awareness and be willing to be a learner and grow in that space and say I'm wrong and listen to outside voices and ultimately say yes to Mace and how she's completely transformed my thinking. Um, but I had to take that journey, you know? Yeah. And I think that this has been framed like in the articles that I've read online, it continues to come up as a abortion Yes. Like conversation. Um, and there's, I have seen very little besides there was one, uh, there was one report in actually in the Inland Empire, right? Your local news station did a report on families of kids with Down syndrome speaking out, um, particularly our girl, Misty Coy Snyder from Happiness is Down Syndrome. And I think it's, I, I think it comes back. This is the conversation we end up having often around here about abortion, that like we're not here to have a, a pro-life, pro-choice like brawl, um, especially with Netflix. <laughs> but we're we want to talk about human value. We want to talk about the fact that um, a a person who works with kids with disabilities is still capable of saying she would want a better baby. And to use that kind of language, like you're talking about, Heather, that's that's where the danger is in this conversation. And that's what the our community is reacting to. Right. How the world gets feels like they know what a better baby is. Right. And we keep trying to say, actually, you guys, um, we think you might have it wrong. Right. Like we do too. And here's the better baby. Yeah. <laughs> just, just kidding. Everyone without Down syndrome. Sorry, people yeah. without Down syndrome. Oh my. Yes. <laughs> Here come the emails. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And I think why it, this is a big, why it is such a big deal is because of the platform. Like mm-hmm. when I was going through my journey, I had a handful of people in my life, coworkers or whoever, family members who I could, I was saying, processing how I felt about having a child with Down syndrome. I didn't have hundreds of thousands or millions of people listening, you know, listening to me. And so that's where it's like, okay, she said these things, she feels these things. And now here's a whole community who represents the things that she says and feels that she doesn't represent. 
you know, that she's mm-hmm. having authority on saying otherwise. Now, you know, better. So do better, you know, like listen to these voices and there needs to be some kind of a acknowledgement at least. I mean, an apology at best, or maybe an apology at least. I don't know. I do appreciate, um, cause I listen, you posted, um, about this Heather. Yeah. And I did appreciate when you talked about like how just because you love a person with Down syndrome, it doesn't mean you're automatically not an ableist. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that because it is a journey and we, because we have the children. So we, as parents in our motherly ways, get to go through that journey in a really loving lens Mm -hmm. and a really loving way where it is so hard. And I think moms become mama bear, or especially our community wants to attack, but how quickly we can forget that our lens wouldn't have been changed unless our kid or for most of us, I should say. I, I feel like for my journey, I chose Sunflower also because I love people with Down syndrome. And then I saw like your family, they adopted, they you adopted, you had Macy and I like, I love Macy. I love what mm-hmm. you and Josh are up to. This looks no different. And I saw the love. I didn't see trauma. And even right. though she was medically fragile, yeah my lens was still different. And so I, I don't know why. And I feel like that also speaks volumes of like what our society, when we look at things, um, how quickly fearful we get, and then how quickly we don't look at through the lens of love. We just look through superficial and you know, what would bother me more, what seems more inconvenient, what seems harder, not that glamorous. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's a journey and I feel like it's going to be a constant roadblock, but I, I know I'm proud of our community for like, you know, always standing up. And then I, I'm also like, Ooh, I'm glad I wasn't on any TV show saying some of the things that I've thought and I've worked right. through. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I'm not that way anymore, but I don't know. That's a tough one. Reality TV, man. <laughs> it's dangerous. Yeah, yep. it's true. I feel like that as an author, like things that I wrote yeah. about, about adoption that are printed in books that I <laughs> believed with my whole heart at the time, you know, but that's the, that's the thing about deciding to make something you say and believe permanent, give it permanency and being committed to being a lifelong learner is it's going to happen, you know, and thank God I've changed and grown because it's been how many years? Could you imagine if five years later, I haven't changed in any of the ways that I view the world and live my life? I don't know. I have a question, you guys. Um, I was looking at this article on variety.com and it was an interview. Wait, was it on variety? Actually, you guys, now I'm all confused. Was it the elite Um, daily? Maybe. Yes. It, I think it was, there was an article where they were talking, it was a taking the interview about abortion a little bit further with her. Mm-hmm. And she brought up uh, something that wasn't in the original quotes. And it was about um, her experience of working 
with low income families. Yes. And I feel like that should be part of our conversation too. Um, in the acknowledgement that most of us who are raising our voices about this come from middle to upper middle class uh, financial situations. And most of us who are, you know, have the time and the energy to have a social media presence and, you know, be able to, to use the internet to shout the worth of our kid. And I, I wonder, you know, I've thought recently more often than I did in the early years with ACE about how much I rely on my financial situation to give him what he needs. And, um, you know, while we discuss this, I'll look and see if I can find where she said this, exactly what she said. But I do wonder um, how often we as a community, when we have this backlash, um, you know, if, if we as a community have thought through, what is she saying about what she has seen in terms of these low income families dealing with disability? Because um, we all know that there is, we're all grateful for the assistance we get from our government um, for our children. Um, but it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot to even fill out the forms, right? It's a lot to stay on top of. It's a lot to um, find what you're supposed to do and and get your forms done and show up at the right place at the right time. And um, yeah, I wish that I knew more of what Nancy meant or what she'd experienced um, in working with these families that have more struggles coming into raising a kid with disabilities. Yeah. Um, and while you're talking, I'm looking up right now on our podcast website and I need to find a certain episode from a long, 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 long time ago. Micah, I feel like that reminds me of our episode. We talked about abortion when we mention how there is a disparity in support, especially for low-income women and how I could see how in many situations, if you didn't have the means to support and then you're thinking extra doctor's visits extra yeah. financial savings like could you imagine like yeah. thinking about saving for your baby with a disability who will need care forever past you being on earth like i just i i feel like i could see I guess in defense of Nancy, if she knew personal stories of families that it kind of looked like, wow, struggle after struggle, um, how her heart would go out to that and be like, man, I don't want to be in that position. This looks like it's really, really hard and with no end in sight. Yeah. And I yeah. could see that. Like I am a stay at home mom. So I could take Benny to her therapies, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, we're blessed to be able to have her do surf lessons, which is a different kind of like physical therapy. I can buy her supplements. I can make the time to go to the doctor's visits. I don't know just how the allotted time of having someone else working while I get to focus intentionally yeah. on her 
I mean, that's unreal. That's huge. Right. It's huge when you have a child with extra needs. And I see that I, I don't know, my heart does go out and I sympathize if you're looking again through that lens of things. Yeah. I found the quote and it's from, you're right, Heather. It was from Elite Daily, um, an article that was an interview with her. And she talks about, she says, at the beginning of my career as a speech pathologist, I was working with children who were medically fragile and had other genetic disorders. And many were from low-income families. This automatically gave me a different perspective on, on what you learn in a textbook out of grad school. And having experiences with those families helped shape my feelings today. You guys, I have three things. Okay. Sam. Okay. I, well, four. First of all, Macy was calling me from Josh's phone over and over and over. So everyone's fine. Um, Good. Next is in this conversation about, about what we're talking about, like how, when your child's medically fragile and if you are low income and all of that, it reminded me of the conversation we had with Jalandra Davis. This is the episode I was looking for. Jalandra Davis is episode 101. So this is almost a hundred episodes ago, but a lot of her episode, if you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend as soon as you're done here that you go back and listen to it for the first time or again. But something she talked about that stood out to me is how important it is to focus on the most vulnerable in a, in a community. And when you focus on and meet the needs of the most vulnerable, how that like splinters out to everybody else. Whereas we live in a society that's like focused on the richest, like that idea of a, if the water's rising for the the yacht, their water's rising for the fishing boat too, kind of an idea. Mm-hmm. That's more like let the most powerful get more power and that power will trickle down. This is the opposite where it's like focus on that most vulnerable person, serve and meet their needs. And from that, that will trickle out, not even up or down, just like out to everybody. And this conversation makes me think of that because how how now you guys people are going to get, might get mad at me. You're like, this Mercedes loves this. How I now? Yay! <laughs> and we've talked about this in our community and we just had an episode come out, I think last week about what if my child with Down syndrome can't mm-hmm. and having this conversation, how we now are saying to her as a community, I'm just like big C community. And there's not, there's not every single person who's talking about this. We're saying, but you're wrong because look what my child with Down syndrome can do. You're wrong because my child with Down syndrome isn't causing trauma in my life. You're wrong because my child with Down syndrome isn't these things. Well, what about the kid with Down syndrome who's medically fragile and is really hard, right? Like now we're saying, oh, within our community, there's a hierarchy of how to have Down syndrome. It's how I feel. It it just is seeping in here to this larger conversation. And it's, um, I think disheartening is the word I'm looking for mm-hmm. and maybe counterproductive in the bigger picture or a band-aid, like let's put this band-aid on here, but until we can see the value and worth in every person with down syndrome, irregardless of their ability, we're not really going to be fighting the fight that needs to be fought, which is seeing the value and worth in every person with down syndrome. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? That take on this? I didn't, I kind of felt it when we were talking about it. And then I liked how Micah, you were kind of steering, you know, like about everybody's down syndrome journey looks different and it shows up differently. And then in that, I remember just feeling kind of like, Oh, like now we're comparing the differences mm-hmm. <laughs> and the yeah. different ways people with down syndrome act or don't act. And it, Oh, it's also cringy. That part makes me sad. 
I could even cry because I just think that's, it's, it's when the bigger, it's when the world then um, takes away from our community, right? It seeps mm -hmm. in. And then again, our own ableism seeps in and we poison ourselves. <laughs> no, but really yeah. like we toxic, we make it toxic and I don't know, like I didn't, if I would have heard that, I, I keep going back to then what should our community, how, I guess we can't control how our community acts or what, what would you do? So if you were watching the show, Heather and Micah, what would your response be? Because we are out, we like to be outwardly responsive to things, right? Mm -hmm. So if you were to be watching it, we didn't know anything was going on and that line came up, what would you feel? Or could you even say, like, how would you feel? What would you be wanting to do? Knee-jerk reaction. I think <laughs> I would have just been like, oh, bummer. She doesn't know yet. I don't, I don't know if I would get necessarily, I would get bummed, but I don't know if I would get mad and an outrage. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's, that's probably bad. I should be outraged. I don't think it's bad at all. I think that's just partly your personality too, right? Like yeah. you're, you're more of a peacemaker, I would say, and not, and it, and it's okay. Not everybody is going to, we all have to respond differently and that's what makes right. it work, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't yes. think it's bad at all. Yeah. What, what about you, Micah? What's your um, reaction? My go-to reaction is to um, sit and think about it for 48 hours, <laughs> which is why I don't fit very well in social media. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that, uh, yeah, and I'm not naturally a fighter either. But I think it's, it's a, to me, it, it feel it's a sadness, it's a feeling mm. of sadness, that the world doesn't get it. And that people can be labeled better or worse. Yeah. Babies can be labeled better or worse. And, um, you know, of course we have to come to this looking at why Nancy is saying what she's saying and understanding that she's had her experiences. And at the same time, we know something that we want the world to know. Mm -hmm. And good. it's, it's hard to figure out how to say that and how to say it. I think, you know, what you're saying, Heather, about how we end up taking on this language of the world, like, look what our kid can do. Look, they're close to being typical in this particular way, or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is that we are saying when we're showing off our kids' abilities. Um, but the, the reality, is, reality is that we need the world to understand their humanity. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, we can, I think when we uproar over social media, it does accomplish something. I think that there are people out there who hear it and start to think and wonder and wrestle with these ideas. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a long, hard slog. And there will be a lot more Nancy stories, yeah. I'm sure. And I hate that Nancy stories reach a lot more people than our stories. Mm. Um, but that's where we're at at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, my, my knee jerk was like, I heard about it and I, 
I don't, I don't watch the show. So if I was into the show and I, and I heard that I would feel a bit of responsibility to respond or to mention it to the bigger Down syndrome community because I advocate on a platform. However, I think I would have been really quick to do it when my kids were a lot littler and they're not huge, you know, like nine and um, August almost nine and then I am 14, but I, in 14 years, it's like, yeah, again. And I said this on my Instagram live too, like, yep. And it's happening constantly. I send my kids to a school where I'm like fighting for them to be seen as fully human. This is the fight I am in. So I think I, the way I respond to public things, um, I'm almost too exhausted to is my knee jerk. Mm. Like, ugh, I feel a responsibility to because of the space I'm in, in on social media in the downstream community and that I'm a writer and, and I talk about these things, right? This is like in my lane, but man, I'm too exhausted to deal with, to talk about it. And just another thing, I'm super grateful for like Misty Coy Snyder, who the way she's brought it up because I don't want it to not be addressed. Like I'm grateful it's being addressed that something like that would happen and nobody bats an eye would make me feel so sad. So the fact that it's being addressed and a news um, outlet picked it up and there's other conversations around it, that there are people who watch the show who otherwise would not have had their thinking challenged. So I'm super grateful for that. Yeah. Um, I love that you said it that way. Cause that's what I was kind of like, okay, what as a community should we do, which is too big of a, we can't all do the same thing. And I love that reminder that we all have our role to play as far as what advocacy looks like. Cause like you said, Heather, like you're tired. Yeah. It's hard to Mm -hmm. carry the voice, the torch for every single battle that comes up like this, you know, Right. right. Of battling against human nature for perfect and stronger and healthier, right. I guess, to be the best. Ooh, yeah. What is, I mean, we had that conversation a couple of years ago with what was that couple that were like a YouTube couple and uh, they had the Sean pregnancy Johnson, yeah. the mm-hmm. Olympic gymnast. Yeah. And so, but they, I think their claim to fame was more their YouTube channel or mm-hmm. something. And they had a pregnancy quote scare that the child had down syndrome. And then they were like celebrating that their child was healthy. And we talked about that and that irritates my soul. Yeah. It's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, you guys just stop already. Like, yeah. Who's who are we listening to here? And if we're going to talk about down syndrome, the first people we listen to are people with down syndrome, you know, and then those who love them and see them as fully human, because some of us are not a voice for the voiceless, but standing up in the space that maybe it's harder for our loved one with down syndrome to stand up in alone, right? Like they need that support from their family. Yeah. Don't listen to friggin' Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I have another point here that I thought was so interesting and frustrating. Okay. I, in, in the, um, not a point, an interesting thing in all of my research on this, the, one of the most recent articles where Nancy Rodriguez is talking to anybody was November 4th. Um, so just a few days ago, and it's the one you referred that you quoted Micah, the elite daily and the entire article 
is only about um, pro-choice and abortion. Mm. They don't mention Down syndrome one time in mm. the whole article. They don't say anything about Down syndrome and how she's come back. And, and now it's this whole conversation where she's like giving all kinds of accolades for standing up for pro the way that she's pro-choice and what the article is about. I'm not mad about the article, but I'm, but the fact that they've skirted it. So right. yes, she's coming public. Like she's talking publicly about the outcry and the controversy of the episode, but she's completely skirted the down syndrome issue right. and the bigger picture, which is, Hey friend, this is not like we've said, this is not pro-life or pro-choice. This is like seeing the dignity and value in a human being. What? Right. Right. Yes. So Why? she's talking yes. about it. Then on her Instagram account, I've read through some of her stuff and, and she's now like, she's standing, she's leaning and running in the lane and standing on the pedestal of thank you for speaking up for women's rights and women's voice. Oh. It's like, no, no, no. The backlash, at least for me. And I think it's true for most of the downtown community. That was not the backlash. This is not right. the thing we're upset about. No. Right. And it's just totally been skirted. Yeah, I don't like that either. Oh, that's so irking. So no, irking. I don't like that. That isn't the issue. The issue is why is Down syndrome constantly up against the same subject of, okay, oh. wait, of let me wait for a better baby. Let me wait for a healthier baby. Let me wait for a better human, healthier yeah. human. Yeah. <sighs> I don't have the answer to that. It's a mystery. <laughs> we I, never right? do. Like I have my inclinations, <laughs> but man, it's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Any nice neat bows, anybody? I think the nice neat bow that I feel is knowing that I have other families like you guys who do understand the journey, kind of reversing reversing it and have been through. And I think that's, I think it's just beautiful that we have each other to continue doing this hard work of continually talking and speaking to others about the worth of Down syndrome. Yeah. If you're going to say something publicly, you're going to get attacked. So that's right. We're coming for <laughs> you. We're coming out. from you, Nancy. I feel like that's the pretty bow. We're not alone in it. And yeah. we have a fierce team. Yeah. I I think too, there's something hopeful for me bowish is that anything we talked about here bowish. <laughs> um, in how it really was only about 30 years ago that it was the norm to institutionalize a person with down syndrome that's right. right and so how creepy. far we have come you know like to to my kids with an expectation of and laws that can quote guarantee but should guarantee a free and appropriate public education like the what has changed even since idea it, when that came out it's so much and it hasn't been that long. So the progress, when you think, when you stand back and look at it from bird's eye, the progress is, is monumental. Mm -hmm. And I find hope in that, you know, that yes, yeah, it's going to keep happening. Like I've said this before, I do not believe in my children's lifetime, they're going to see down syndrome through the lens 
it, the narrative will be shifted in the way that we're working to shift it. I don't, mm -hmm. but it's going to keep shifting. And it, I do believe that. And I do believe that it's worthy work. It's going to happen in generations to come. And we're, we get to be a part of that work. And I, I feel like that that's an honor. It's like plants and there are seasons and we nourish it and we water it and we um, are tender towards it. And, and the things that last are the things that have time to get the roots down deep. And, and so I just, you know, it, I think there's always a place for us to speak out in our social media spaces and say the thing that we're saying over and over. Mm -hmm. And I hope that all of us listeners, all of our listeners will, and all of us too, the three of us will not get discouraged by things not changing immediately. The mm -hmm. roots are going down deep. We're watering the plant, putting a little fertilizer in there and singing songs to the plants. And eventually <laughs> they're going to become something beautiful and big. I would add in pruning. You got to prune, prune out, <laughs> right? Prune out the There's bad that, stuff. that thinking that just because you have a child with disability means you don't have any ableism in your life. It's you got to prune it out. You got to do the hard work, have that self-awareness and prune that out. Yep. And we're and doing some it. Of that, yep. And some of that starts with ourselves yes. and how much we are trying to fit a perfect mold that is made up by Western society's need for perfection. <clears throat> and that, you know, we have to start to see um, where, where that's true in our lives so that we can extend that out to our children with Down syndrome, our children without Down syndrome and the world that needs yes. to understand that perfection is not what makes something good. There it is, you guys. We did three bows, like really beautiful sparkly bows on this one. It's good work, team. Okay. <laughs> Yay. We're going to wrap it up then. Um, I hope this was a helpful conversation for you listeners. And thanks for joining us for this raw, unedited episode. Da -da -dun. Da -da -dun. And I'm going to say thanks to Josh for editing it because <laughs> we're supposed because to. He isn't going to insert music at the beginning and end. There's going to be some editing. Good job, um, and Josh. Thanks, Josh, for this easy edit. And to Val Schleter for producing it and Ashley for managing social media. Yep. If you like this episode, share it with family and friends. And don't forget to subscribe. And what else? Remember to check out the luckyfewpodcast.com for show notes and all the things we talked about today. And be sure to follow on social media at the lucky few pod. As always, we love, love, love your feedback. So we want to hear what you're thinking about this one and Netflix and love is blind. You're welcome to chime in here at any point. <laughs> yeah. Netflix. Pay attention yeah. to us. Right. Pay attention to us. All we want is a show. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Hey, listeners, you're slaying it. We love you and we're cheering you on. Can't wait to be together next week, you guys. Same. Bye, you <laughs> Bye, Love you all. Goodbye. Bye.